Parker, how are you? I'm good, friend. How are you doing? Doing great. Been looking forward to talking with you about mud and miracles. I love the topic, mud and miracles. It's our it's our welcome to spring at the beginning of March, the month in which spring arrives. And since that's nature's growing edge, we can say welcome to the growing edge. I'm Carrie Newcomer. And I'm Parker Palmer. To the words and habit to us and how we live between the words. So Parker, why don't you go ahead and let people know what our Growing Edge question of the month is. March 20th is the first day of spring, and spring is the season of mud and miracles, which makes spring a lot like life itself. So our Growing Edge question for the month of March is this. How do you hold the eternal mix of mud and miracles in your life? How do you understand the mud? And what do you learn from it? And what do you think of as miraculous? And how do you give thanks for it? I think this is a really wonderful question. Um, You know, the idea of uh, this being this transitional season that out of the muddy ground, um, you know, things begin to grow. But for a while, in the beginning, it's pretty muddy. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny when you think about all the literature about spring, all the bad poetry that's been written about <laughs> spring. Um, maybe it's true that a young man's fancy turns to thoughts of love, but as an old man, I can say an old man's fancy turns to thoughts of mud when spring <laughs> gets underway. You're really <laughs> slogging around. It'll suck your boots off. And... Um, That's just the reality of where nature starts to grow things, is in all that mud and muck. And I I find that kind of reassuring about the mud and muck in my own life. I I appreciate that. You know, that that this idea of growing is a pretty messy business. You know, being a human being is is pretty messy business. You know, relationships can be pretty messy. Um, practicing new ways of being and processing, you know, that's, that's all real human kind of messy stuff. And, and for a while, you're just kind of in there, in the mud, you know, kind of working through, you know, this next thing. Yeah, so, we do a lot of slogging around. We do. And you know, like I said, there's a lot of waxing romantic about the spring and the beautiful things about spring. But as it's coming... It's, it's it's not always that beautiful, pretty spring green yet. It's it's that what happens before. Yeah, and I, I actually find it wonderful to be at a place in life where I can celebrate the mud um, mm. be, because it's the precondition of, of growth. It's um, I, I love the fact that the word humus, the decayed vegetable matter that feeds the, the roots of, of plants, comes from the same word root, that gives rise to the to the word humility. Mm-hmm. Um, so it you know it turns out that if you think carefully about the language and its history, events that that leave mud on my face or that make my name mud, as we say, may in fact create the fertile soil in which something new can grow. And in this culture that that is always celebrating that which is shiny, that which is successful you know, dividing us into winners and losers. 
I just love the fact that mud and muck and not getting things right and losing can actually create the preconditions for good stuff to happen. And if I look honestly at my own life, I have to say, there's been a lot of that. Um, the, the successes, the things I got right out of the gate are not the things that made me stop and think about who I am and what I'm doing and where I'm going and, you know, how I could, how I could walk a better walk and talk a better talk. It, it's the failures, it's the struggles, it's the falling down and then the getting up that has allowed all of that to happen. And and why is it that you know it's it's so it's so hard you know it's very hard to um, to get something wrong you know I don't know I I that's something that I I deal with myself I you know oh my my gosh I made a mistake here and um, and that in my mistakes are generally the places where I learn more or my learning curve is a little steeper you know. Um, but it's but it's hard. It's it's hard to say. Wow, I, I really blew that. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and and so instead of saying, um, you know, the voice that would say, and so you made a mistake, and so now that's reflecting on you in a really negative way, or kind of going down that rabbit hole um, of saying, oh, you know, there's something really to be learned here, and what is it? Yeah, yeah, emulate Mother Nature, mess things up, and, and something good's, good is going to happen. I, I agree completely. It's And the, I think we have to do a kind of conscious, intentional flip on all of that, I, especially yeah. when I'm mentoring young people or when they come to me for a conversation about something they're struggling with. It's, it's often about a mistake they've made. And of course, I try to listen empathetically and and feel what they're feeling and get myself inside their experience. But more than once, I I will look at them and grin and say, look, I know exactly how you feel because I made a mistake once. I think it was in 1957, (laughs) May 8th, as as I recall. And that gets a little laugh out of them. And that allows me eventually to say, oh, so you made a mistake. Welcome to the human race. You know, welcome yeah. to the human race, which, as I've said before, are the best words I've ever heard about my own life and and my own journey. But it is built into our culture that it's hard for people to get there. It's hard for us to get to that point of embracing and even celebrating our yeah. screw-ups. And not going down some rabbit hole of this is you know, embarrassing or somehow reflecting on me in a, in a way that is not helpful at all. My, my daughter, who is like probably the coolest person on the planet, I think, um, you know, she has this way of talking uh, now about the choices that she's made. She says, well, there's future, her name is Amelia. And, um, she says there's past Amelia and future Amelia and sometimes on present Amelia. And sometimes, you know, present Amelia says, wow, what was past Amelia like thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. That's good. (laughs) Or, you know, I say, wow, you know, past Amelia really had had it going on. She was really following her best self and her best instincts, you know. 
and then making a decision right now, sometimes you'll go, hmm, what would future Amelia think about this? And I, I, I just, it's very charming. And I find myself doing that uh, often. It's like, okay, past Carrie. Oh, what was she thinking? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. you know, th- this kind of, I guess, humorous and a little more gentle way of looking at the decisions we make, the, the muck we kind of get into, and what, what can I learn from it? I think you just have to flip a lot of conventional wisdom, so-called, on its head. Um, mm-hmm. Not only the you know success and failure stuff, but also this notion that talking to yourself makes you crazy. Actually, talk, <laughs> <laughs> talking to yourself can actually make you sane, as as happens with Amelia when she's in a dialogue between present Amelia and 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 past Amelia. I just think that, you know, that nature is worthy of emulation. We're all embedded in it. Um, mm-hmm. And there's so much to learn from really watching the process. And the, and the spring process is very slow and, and very struggling. It's often hard to trust. I mean, I, I live in the upper Midwest in Madison, Wisconsin. And, you know, here, winter can stretch well into spring and by the time of the vernal equinox that happens around March 20th um, by the time it arrives we may still have a lot of snow on the ground and I was as I was thinking about this podcast I was thinking about a moment um, a couple years ago when my wife Sharon was out shoveling the snow I mean I was inside doing the big jobs like thinking thoughts and, <laughs> you know, you know, writing them down on paper, and Sharon yeah. was Sharon was out shuffling the, the the heavy snow, and she came in very excited. She says, "Parker, Parker, I just saw the first sign of spring," and I thought, "Oh, she saw a crocus, or you know, she saw a cardinal." I said, "Well, what was it?" She said, "A curb." I saw a curb. <laughs> peeking out from (laughs) under the snow (laughs) you know the the plow had come by and it actually had uncovered a curb and i just Mm -hmm. thought what a marvelous moment of celebrating this concrete object as the first sign of spring you know it's sort of a way of trusting the slow process that that nature trusts it's the only way forward and we need to learn to trust it in ourselves yeah, and I, you know, I've been thinking about this process of muddy and the first signs, and you know, the trusting of that. I, I've been thinking a lot about uh, the pause, you know, the the power of the pause lately. That one of the more beautiful and challenging experiences I've ever had is is being in a long term loving relationship. You know, whether it's family or a really cherished friend or uh, a partner you're working with a long period of time. And, you know, people grow, people grow at different rates. Mm -hmm. But one of the things, I think, being in a long-term relationship is learning the power of the pause or the beauty of the pause, you know, like not reacting to something right away. That Mm -hmm. taking a breath and saying, okay, if I'm living into my best self, my true self, what what should be my response here? Mm -hmm. Or even saying, I really need to pause here that mm-hmm. I, I, I need to kind of walk away and I'll, I'm really hearing you and I'll be back in, in 15 minutes. 
you know, mm-hmm. or an hour. And but I really hear you, and I'm I'm going to process this first. You know, so that idea of the pause as being so powerful, of being in it for a little while, and, and trusting that it shifts and it changes mm-hmm. uh, over time, and that these these you know, little changes make a big difference over time. Yeah, and isn't it isn't it also in the pause, I like that idea a lot, that you are more likely to become aware of that little little drip sound that means something is thawing mm-hmm. or, or that, mm-hmm. that little green thing sticking above the surface of the snow or whatever the equivalent of that is in a relationship. With it. Without that pause, you can't, be aware of the small things that signify movement, that signify growth, and and it it, it just it it it's all frozen um, as it is during the winter. I, I remember, I'm sure you remember too, reading to young kids uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. which begin yeah. with the the story of of this land that lies beyond the wardrobe um, called Narnia, which has been frozen into what seems like uh, eternal winter um, by some evil force. And along comes one one of the signs that Aslan, this great lion who kind of serves as the god figure, I guess, in these stories by C.S. Lewis, one of the signs that he's on his way back to redeem the the world of Narnia is this drip, drip, drip that begins very slowly, that that a thaw is underway. And I'm I'm just very aware of how I, in the winter of the year, the, the actual year of the four seasons in my part of the world, I, I hunker down. Um, I, I get defended. You know, I, I can even feel it in in my body aching at the end of the day as I'm mm-hmm. sort of yeah. hunched up to protect myself, I think, against against the cold. And I'm not even breathing very well. I mean, when you started talking about pausing, you associated it with breathing. And yeah. I thought, yeah, you... you Parker, sometimes you don't breathe through the whole winter, and you wait until spring to start breathing again. Yeah. But if I can do more of that as a conscious discipline, as spring starts to emerge, then hope will indeed spring eternal, uh, because I'll start picking up the signs of something new and better happening. And I think you know we're we're actually recording this podcast in in February, um, and so there is that time of year that uh, in the Midwest where at the end of February when everybody really uh, is is a bit tired of the cold, and um, you know I I I get hungry for flowers. I end up you know going and buying flowers and put putting them in in my home and giving them to people. And, um, you know, and, and folks, you know, myself included can, yeah, not be breathing, be kind of, um, oh, this last, this, you know, last bit of winter is hard. It really is. And I, I think, you know, the metaphor of that, sometimes the last bit of winter 
looking for that drip, 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 you know, the, the signs, the smallest signs, you know, can be really challenging. You know, what's, what's the equivalent of, of bringing flowers into your life? You know, what's, what's the equivalent of saying here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah that's nice. Well, it may be a guy thing, but I get hungry for chocolate. So I'm more, <laughs> like, more likely to, to go get some chocolate than, I, than flowers. But yeah. I get the flower thing because that's what Sharon brings home too. But I'm just thinking, Carrie, of the parallel between what you just said about the sort of the end of winter and how hard it is to credit that a new season is coming, a, a season when the snow and ice will be gone, when it will get warmer, when things will start to grow green again, and when breathing will become easier and you can get outside in three minutes rather than 30 minutes because you don't have to put on 10 layers of clothing to survive the the two-mile walk. Um, But there's such a parallel between that and the the hard times, the wintering through times in our lives. Um, I think, again, as I've referred to on these podcasts before about my own three deep dives into depression and, and how those last few miles, which were always the hardest. I mean, I didn't know they were the last few miles, but they were the miles when it just felt like all hope was lost and and all energy was gone to put one foot in front of the other and keep doing it day after day. Um, And and yet the, the persistence paid off because eventually... Um, as the old saying goes, this too will pass. And mm, yes. and life gets a little lighter, life gets a little easier, the, the air gets a little warmer, and whatever's frozen in your life actually does, does yeah. start to melt. There, there are actually clinical psychiatrists who think that um, a lot of depressions, not all, but a lot of depressions will in fact go away simply with the passage of time if people can hang in with them. Um, and yeah. there are debates about whether even in some cases, whether medication or therapy helps, but the passage of time helps. Again, this is not something one generalizes about because depressions vary greatly from one to another. Yes. But my point is very simple, that it's always those last few miles that are the hardest ones to walk because it seems like this is going to go on for the rest of my life. Well, uh, and maybe, you know, maybe if if March, if the end of March is the season of promise, hmm. then that end of February, you know, that, that last of the winter is, is the season of perseverance, you know, mm-hmm. that we, you know, that we, we realize that we're in, in that, that last time of, or like you said, you may not realize it, but, you know, we are in, in, a, in, in that last log uh, of, of winter, um, looking at the promise, you know, and, and maybe that's why I go buy flowers because mm-hmm. they remind me of the promise, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that it, it, it is coming and it will come. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that the season of promise is coming. And I think the flip side, you know, of, 
of what we were going to talk about today, you know, the, the mud and the miracle, you know, I think that season of promise is a season of miracle as well, that, that somehow it, it does come, you know, that in those last cold days, long cold days of winter, that, that it is coming and that it mm-hmm. does come. And yeah. that's, that's kind of a, a miraculous thing. And that, and there's an extravagance when it comes, you know, yeah, that right. there's the yeah. first signs, there's the, there's the crocus. I love crocuses so much. I, I think I just about fall on my knees when I see the first crocuses. They're wonderful. But they really are. But soon thereafter, you know, it, it, there is this extravagance to springtime. It, it's here. It's finally mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. It's really quite and miraculous. Yeah, yeah. I do love the extravagance of, of, of spring and this somehow this invitation that, that we are meant to relish extravagance. I'm not talking about spending a lot of money that I don't have on things I don't need um, just to show off. But I'm, I'm just talking about plunging into life um, with, with an open heart and an open mind and in enjoying um, every little sign of hope and every little sign of possibility, whether it's in the natural world or the human world. Um, I, th- I think these days, and it's what, this is one of the reasons I love this theme of mud and miracles in spring and in our lives, these days it's so easy to look around and see mud everywhere, you know, smeared all over everything that I at least value, everything from democracy to human dignity. But if I shift my gaze just a little, I can find miracles in everything I value. You know, I can find the miracle of two people who differ from each other radically in political terms, actually forging a deeper friendship around a committed effort to hold that difference in a creative way. And I've yes. seen that happen. And I've seen people persist in, in loving each other despite serious ideological differences because they know that love is always more important than ideology. Yes. Or to put it differently, they know that being in right relationship is always more important than being right um, partly because if, if we can't be in right relationship, how will we ever sort out these complicated issues of what's right and wrong, what's, what's true and false? And, and so those are, those are miracles of the sort one can find in ordinary life if, if one's eyes are open for that. If, in, if instead of looking at all the dirty snow, I'm looking for the crocuses peeking yes. above the snow. Um, I, I'm going to have a completely different orientation toward what spring is all about and what's coming, and, what's possible in the, in the next iteration. And I think, too, you know, that idea of framing, you know, uh, because we're having our world and, the, you know, the world around us and our current affairs framed as so often in the worst of who we are, you know, mm-hmm. this is this is how as humans, we are, you know, behaving badly or tragically or, 
you know, it's, it's, we're getting that message and we're getting that information all the time from every, every angle. But, you know, last night, um, I, I'm part of a, a collection of people who put something on called the soup bowl benefit in town Mm -hmm. and uh, local potters make handmade bowls and local restaurants uh, donate soup and bread and cookies and people come and they they buy bowl you know they get to keep their bowl which is wonderful and all the bowls are laid out like tables of jewels and they have a soup and bread dinner and we have music and uh, it's been going on for 25 years now and it's become really a, a wonderful you know, community event. But I, I was looking around at it last night saying, this is what it looks like when we're at our best, you know, mm-hmm. when we're giving and we're giving to one another, when we're supporting um, efforts that take care of those who are not doing, you know, so well right now. And the celebration of the things we make with our hands and the things that we give to one another, you know, a good bowl of soup. It, it, was, it was really quite stunning to look around and say, yes, this is the world I want to live in. Mm-hmm. There's that beautiful Naomi Shiab Nye poem that at the end, uh, Gate 4A, she says, this is the world I want to live in, the mm-hmm. shared world. Not right. everything is lost. I kept thinking about that poem as I was looking around. So, so yeah, that, that, you know, the, the long winter and then the extravagance of spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, and I think it, that's it, great. It, it also strikes me, Carrie, that it's it's not only the world that you and I want to live in, that most people want to live in, it's actually the world we do live in. Yes. I mean, that happened. That happened to you yesterday. It happens yeah. to Ab- all absolutely. of us all the time. And we have this sort of fundamental question to answer day by day which depends so much on how we frame our experience and what lenses we put on to see the world. And, and the question is, which world is most real? We have a choice to make about which world we think we're living in, and we're going to act accordingly to how we make that, that choice. So I can read, you know, a radical left or radical right, political rag of one sort or another, And I can take those headlines and and all the scurrilous uh, evidence, uh, quote evidence that they present, and I can decide that's the world I live in, and it makes me angry, and I want to get off this planet, or I want to blow something up. And, you know, there's a lot of that going around these days. Yeah. I can also go to that benefit that you were at yesterday, where people serve soup, and music is made, and songs are sung, and and say, that's the world I live in. And I've always felt that once you've seen anything like that happen among real people in real space and time, you can never again say to yourself, it's not possible. It's not possible. The world is in such bad shape that it's not possible. No, reality check, it's possible because you saw it happen. And you uh, saw it happen today or yesterday yeah. or, you know, it, it keeps, yeah. it keeps happening. And I like that, you know, reframing of it. Once you have seen the miracle, you can't unsee it, you mm-hmm. know, it's, and, and I think that's a powerful thing too. I'm going to tell another Amelia story. 
I don't know if she's going to like that I'm telling all these stories about her. But when she was a little girl, we went up to the Chicago Art Institute. She was about five, I think. And I got a bunch of postcards of some of the paintings I knew would be there so we could go treasure hunt for these paintings. So we got to the room. There's this beautiful room in the Chicago Art Institute where all the Monet haystacks are. Haystacks in all these different times of day and time of year. So it's 10 in the morning in the winter, you know, or it's six o'clock in the twilight in summer. And you can feel it without looking at any of the, the titles to know when they were painted. So I told her that how Impressionist had, they, they loved to paint how things feel in different kinds of light and time, and that they used little tiny dabs of color to do that. So we walked in and she looked at it and she goes running up to one of them and she goes, it's gone. Then she ran back to me and she goes, oh, it's back. Because your eye, her, you know, we talked about her eyes mixing all these dots together to make the picture. And she ran back up again and she said, it's gone again. And she runs back to me and she goes, it's back. And it's mm. all made of magic. Mm, mm, that's beautiful. And, I remember looking at her and just saying, that's right, honey, it's all made of magic. Mm-hmm. And I just love that, you know, this experience of a little girl, of seeing all the muck and the little dots and every, you know, all the, the dabs of color. But then from this other perspective, it was this incredible miracle. It was a haystack at 10 o'clock in the wintertime. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. Truthfully, I didn't know this was going to happen. I didn't know you were going to be in a mom mood today. I, oh well, and that's you that's know. very cool. Oh, and I'm, and this has the, you you've gotten me. And since I know Amelia, I really love these stories and appreciate them very much. But it, it's put me in a dad mood. Okay. So so I have a quick story about my All son right. Todd. It's a similar story. He was about seven years old. He's now in his early 50s. He's a research biologist, a long-distance bike rider, all kinds of things that I'm not. I have no idea where he got these gifts. Um, that's, that was miraculous. That's miraculous in itself. When he was about six or seven years old, he was already a poet, and he's mm-hmm. written some very fine poetry. And one morning, I come down to the kitchen, and there taped to the refrigerator is a poem that this six or seven-year-old kid had written the night before and taped Mm -hmm. up without mentioning it to anybody before he went to bed. And I'll I'll never forget the poem. I still have the original. Here's 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 what it said. It was called Love. It went like this. Love is everywhere, except it goes, it goes in things and out of things sometimes. Oh, that's really beautiful. And I thought, how does my son know that? Something that I'm just starting to come to terms with myself. At seven. (laughs) Love is everywhere except it goes and goes in things and out of things sometimes. And... You know, as I think about it in the context of this conversation, that's like Amelia running up, it's gone, it's back, it's gone, it's back. It's also like, 
what is it that we're opening our eyes to and what is it that we're we're catching and naming as reality is it those times when the love is gone is it the times when the love is is with us or or is it more fundamentally that brilliant opening line love is everywhere yeah and then that little modification except it goes, it goes, in things and out of things sometimes. And I think about that. I, I have a song that um, I wrote called I Meant to Do My Work Today. Mm. And it starts out with I'm in my office and I have email to do and all these things that I had planned to do that day. And I looked out the window and it was spring. And the light was coming in in this beautiful spring, luminous way. And I just put down my computer and I went outside, you know, and I I just, I kind of didn't do anything I had planned to do that day at all. And I ended up writing a song uh, instead. And, you know, I meant to do my work today. So many plans I would have made. I'd check the mail, I'd sweep the hall. I'd finally get my accounting done. I'd sort the beans one by one. But I got waylaid by the morning sun. And I got absolutely nothing done. So, you know, it was that extravagance of spring. Spring does, does not hold back. You know, it right, just, it just right. gives it all. You know, it's yeah. like all these seeds come out. All this, you know, it's not holding back at all. You know, not holding back anything. And, you know, it just felt like that. You know, all those things got done. They all got done, you know, later on. And I remember that day as as a yes in my life. You know, sometimes people, I I was talking to someone about learning to say no more in their life, you know, like, you know, to commitments and things that, you know, that future Carrie will not not be happy that I said, you know, (laughs) so say no. But maybe the reframe is every time, instead of saying, what am I saying no to? What am I saying no to? What am I saying yes to? You know, that, yeah, maybe I said no to doing all that email, but I said yes to a song, you know? So maybe that's part of our our spring extravagance. What What am I saying yes to with all my heart today? See, that's that's a great story, and it's why I've asked you to give me songwriter lessons, because <laughs> the, the, then I could have a lazy day, and I could call it another day at the office. I could call it, you know, I, I wrote a song today about being lazy. I think that's brilliant. Well, <laughs> but, I, you know, but seriously, I you take your meaning. You gotta do. I figured you, maybe you could give me lessons on keeping my my office neater. I don't know. <laughs> that I could that, do. Yeah, that but, might be a lost cause. So. <laughs> that would settle my mind immensely. I worry about you that way, but I mean, you're you going to get lost in that office someday. And never. And that that come would out. not be good for any of us. Um, so um, you have another song that I would love for you to sing because it's. For me, it's really a song that's bang on for today's topic of mud and miracles and the emergent beauty of spring. It's called The Beautiful Not Yet. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Would you it be was... willing to do that for us? Absolutely. You know, um, 
I think I did it on a previous program, but I was, I'll just sing it again. You know, it, yeah. it, it, it really it makes sense for this one because it was written right at the moment we're talking about, where it's muddy and the green things have not opened up yet, and you're you're watching for those small signs. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's great. And if, and if, if the average age of our audience is up anywhere near where I am, nobody will remember the previous <laughs> version of the song. <laughs> so, <laughs> Please right. feel free. <laughs> Let me get my guitar. Spring is humming, bits is something, a melody, the simple part, a song that I once knew by heart. Wild indigo, foxglove, lupin, queen, and lace will be coming any day. The restlessness, the quickening, the almost but not yet. Muddy boots, last year's leaves. Every spring that came before All they were and something more The restlessness The quickening The almost but not yet la da 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 la da 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 La da 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 da. Do you see? Do you see? Do you see it? Take a breath. Oh, the restlessness, the beautiful, not yet. There's a stirring. There's a sweetness. At the edge of in-between I feel it nearly trembling The restlessness The quickening The almost but not I, I really love that. I, I just love that notion. And, and it's... Um, uh, very close for me to another notion that I love uh, on the brink of everything that uh, mm -hmm. a, a line that I stole from my writer friend Courtney Martin um, I just feel that that uh, you know in earlier years of my life I did not appreciate the beautiful not yet or what it meant to be on the brink of everything um, I was so caught up in present reality and its difficulties, really, that I wasn't looking for those harbingers of something new to come. Um, and spring is just full of harbingers, or the build-up to spring is full of harbingers. Whether it's the first sign of spring being a crocus or the first sign of spring being a curb, 
that you can see for the first time in months. Um, yeah. And it's I, I feel very grateful for the gift of now having eyes to anticipate the beautiful not yet and all of those things that are celebrated in the marvelous lyrics to that song and celebrate being on the brink of everything and kind of not only looking back and looking around, but just looking over the horizon as best I can at what's coming and all of its surprise and uh, to, to develop a taste for surprise, I think is a good thing. The unexpected, you know, and that is something too, you know, that the idea of miracle being the unexpected, you know, the improbable, that the impossible that becomes possible. It, writing that song, uh, the song The Beautiful Not Yet, was actually co-written, I should say that, with uh, a wonderful young writer, Chloe Grace. Um, I think she's about 23 now, 24. And it it was really f- wonderful to collaborate on that song together. Um, mm. The idea of the beautiful not yet coming from her perspective and then from my perspective. Mm. Um, mm. I think we're always in the beautiful not yet, no matter where we are in our point of life. It's something, the promise is out there and the promise is here and right now as well. So it's it was very, um, it was really wonderful and enlightening to to write that song with her. And isn't it interesting that, that both of us partnered, I partnered with Courtney Martin, a writer who's half my age in that line, on the brink of everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I partnered in the sense of I stole it from her, but that's a form of partnership. <laughs> as long she, as it was sanctioned. She, she gave me her permission, absolutely. But it's, it's just interesting to me that we're both we're both talking here about intergenerational relationships, which for, for I know for you as well as for me is, is one of the ways we see that horizon. We see it more easily through the eyes of a younger person who's standing at a different place in life than we are, seeing different things than, than, than we do, um, and brings a kind of freshness to that, the, to that vision that maybe we lose a bit as the years go by. So that's a gift worth noting, that gift of partnering in conversation and friendship and in shared work with people younger than ourselves and yes. um, learning to open our eyes in new ways uh, with their help. Yeah, and so so I I think we I think we are getting closer on time here so how about takeaways? I really have loved this conversation today and, and the di- different directions it went. What do you think about, you know, this idea of muck and miracles? You know, I, I think I think a, a takeaway for me is I need to be attentive to both the mud and the miracle. I mean, there are times when I'm totally obsessed with the mud, and there are times, and, and then I get bogged down, <laughs> literally mm-hmm. or metaphorically. Yep. And there are times when I get totally taken by the miracle, and the danger there is that I may float away into something that's that's unreal and unsustainable. And I guess, you know, a big a big theme in my life is whatever it is I'm in, um, I want to be in for the long haul. And 
I don't think I can do that without being willing both to get my boots muddy and to keep my eye on the horizon um, and see and and feel that which will draw me forward with hope. So it's about it's about holding that paradox for me and trying not to fall away into either extreme um, where where everything is muck and mud and misery yeah. or everything is floaty and um, and uh, uber poetic or sappily poetic yeah um, and and in and in that sense unreal because neither one of those states of mind and heart is sustainable and um, I want to live a sustainable life and I I don't just mean a life that sustains me although that I do have some interest in that but I mean a life that sustains relationships that sustains good work um, that that sustains the common good that sustains what what's that sustains love, truth, and justice to the best of of my ability to make my little contribution to those very big topics. Yeah, uh, there's a a March Piercy poem called "The Seven of Pentacles." He talks about live a life you can endure, a life that is sustainable, that mm-hmm. that embraces both the mud and the miracle, mm-hmm. that. You know, I, I I think what I'm taking from the conversation uh, is this idea of truly being with both, to be more uh, attentive of both. Um, I think some people think that miracles, you know, they happened um, a long time ago, and, you know, then there was like a period at the end of the sentence, like, okay, the, the red seed parted, and then there's a period at the end of the sentence. If I'm not seeing miracles in my life, then I'm not paying attention. You know, I'm just not paying enough attention. And mm-hmm. um, and at the same time, you know, holding that, as you say, in creative tension, but to, mm-hmm. to hold that with today, I'm slogging through the mud and to be really be with that, too. And what does it mean? And what am I learning here? And that out of all of this, you know, it's a it's a life giving process. It's a life giving mm-hmm. uh, event, you know, the what's coming up through the mud and the extravagance of the miracle. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you'll check out our next episode. And don't forget to visit our website, newcomerpalmer.com, newcomerpalmer.com, so you can join in the conversation too. And now we have a favor to ask. If you like today's show, rate us and leave a review on iTunes. It's the best way to help us reach new audiences and bring more voices into this conversation. All the music you heard in today's show was written by our own Carrie Newcomer. And much gratitude to Gary Walters for performing the song, The Clean Edge of Change. And wild appreciation to Allison Quantz for creative envisioning, direction, and production. And because, oh my gosh, she is a miracle. <laughs>